welcome to R for R Conversations That Educate and Elevate. I'm Karen Conley and I'm the Executive Director of Race for Reconciliation. Thank you so much for joining us for this particular episode. And if you have the opportunity to join us by video, you can see that I have with me an amazing guest that I'm going to introduce you to, Brandon Wilkes. Brandon, thank you so much for coming on for this episode. Thank you for having me, Karen. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, you and I have been in conversation for, I guess, probably over a year or so. Um, if our audience is not familiar with Brandon, uh, Brandon is the executive director of the St. Louis Reconciliation Network. Um, tell our audience a little bit about what you do and what your organization is trying to accomplish. Yeah, well, the St. Louis Reconciliation Network, uh, we're all about building unity here in St. Louis. Uh, our, our vision is to harness the potential collective powers of the diverse faith communities here in St. Louis and uh, help to unify them in building unity across the city. Uh, as, as you know, with the Ferguson uh, incidents back in 2014, St. Louis has gotten a black eye uh, as far as uh, what it's like to be here and live here and the, the social issues that are here. Uh, and we want to be a part of being the solution. So we do a lot of teaching and training uh, with helping people understand how to build unity across relationships, across uh, different uh, faiths, uh, across different ideologies. And uh, we help have those difficult conversations about race. Uh, we also hold uh, a few events here that uh, help bring unity across the city. And uh, uh, I think over the past, um, let's see, eight years now, uh, the organization started in 2012, that we've helped to build unity here in, in uh, St. Louis. Well, I um, love hearing the stories that come from you out of St. Louis and, and really the way that our world merged um, was we really had this vision for Race for Reconciliation to take to cities across the country where we will host 5Ks and one mile fun runs and wanting to be this voice of hope and healing um, and honor. And um, we really have this heartbeat as an organization that we don't wanna just come into a city and do an event. There has to be sustained leadership with a heart for this that we are really coming alongside. And lo and behold, what I did not know when we had started Race for Reconciliation is that the St. Louis Reconciliation Network really is modeling that um, in, on a city level, what we hope that our organization will be able to birth in cities across the country. And so um, I'm just grateful for what you are doing and what your team is doing. Um, and, and I think it's also great because our first event will be in Memphis, but we will look at other cities right now. There's four or five other cities that we're in conversations with. Um, you're a little bit down, further down the road in building that um, unified front within a city. Maybe just for a moment, you referenced Ferguson. Um, here we are now in 2020 as we record this. Help us to understand the dynamics of, of race in St. Louis as you've seen it over these last several years. Yeah, St. Louis is, is not too different than most major cities in the United States, but it does have um, some culture about it that uh, makes it a little unique in, in that sense. 
um, St. Louis for a long period of time, it, it has a, a huge um, racial separation in the city, north and south. There's a street here called Del Mar. And the Del Mar, it runs uh, east to west. It's a long strip within the city. And the, the demographics of the city proper, not including the suburbs, but the city is that 95% of the African-American population in the city lives north of Del Mar. Um, and south, only 5%. And uh, that's just an anomaly. It's, it's as though the, the city itself has in the middle the proverbial railroad tracks, you know? And uh, that has been, that was such a normal and natural thing in the city that when we arrived in 2014, before the incident in Ferguson happened, it was kind of as though everyone, black and white, uh, accepted that that's just the way it was. And not many people talked about it. Not, not many people uh, really wanted to think about the racial situation. They were um, more cordial and polite about the, the um, really the segregation that existed in the city. And um, up until Ferguson, nothing was really spoken about and nothing happened. And then post-Ferguson, everyone finally, I think, got to a point where they said, you know, this is an issue that we need to talk about. Because those uh the separation is not just because you know different racial groups are se separated because they want to be but it came about due to a history of segregation in in st louis due to redlining and blockbustering and and even uh, government sanctioned um just segregation and uh, as a result uh, there's health disparities that exist in the city, economic disparities between black and white that exist in the city, and um, uh, socioeconomic the, the disparities, that just education disparities as well that exist that this divide has really caused. So uh, there's a lot of work to be done here, but there's we've been making steady progress. And uh, since Ferguson, at least the conversation now is starting to happen. Well, I love the fact that as as people are listening to this from all across the country, um, you know, the way that you change a country is one person at a time, one city at a time, one state at a time. Uh, sometimes the it, it can feel so overwhelming to think like really how can we change a national issue. Um, but I love the fact that, that you've been on the ground there now. Like you said, 2012 is when the St. Louis Reconciliation Net Network started. Um, that you have some history and you can see some progress. Um, how would you say, if there's somebody else listening to this, and, and you in particular and, and the St. Louis Reconciliation Network um, work specifically within the sphere of the faith um, sector, if, if that's who want to use that word, and our organization, Race for Reconciliation, really is um, looking for every sector of our community and our culture to come and be a part of the solution. But faith is certainly a huge part in every city that we want churches and synagogues and people of any faith to be some of the four leaders in the solution. Tell us a little bit, um, Brandon, how has the network, how have you seen it be a part of the solution in St. Louis? Well, I believe that it's, it can be a huge part of the solution. Um, 
so many different people are connected to their faith communities. And it's a, not only a laissez-faire connection, but a, a critical connection in their lives. For the people who uh, go and attend church on, faithfully on a Sunday morning, it's literally thousands upon thousands in St. Louis and throughout the United, United States. And then there are people who, who do have a little more relaxed relationship, but when uh, times are tough or when uh, times are, 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 are when they need counseling or direction, they still connect back to their uh, faith community. So there has to be a place where people uh, think of their faith communities when they think about unity or they think about their, uh, I mean, honestly, reconciliation. Um, so I feel like starting with the faith communities is a good way to really build inroads to unity within St. Louis and across the United States. Uh, at least that's my, my personal perspective. Um, the, the church and other faiths in, included, but the church specifically has a lot of influence um, within people's lives. It's for so many people, it's the moral and ethical foundation of their reality. So if you want to build unity across races and overcome uh, racism or systemic racism, sometimes you have to get at the root cause and that's people's morals and their ethics. And uh, we help to teach and train uh, people of faith to, to utilize their foundation of faith as the platform to build on that unity. Um, so I think for us, we, we go that direction because we think it's critical. We know there are a lot of great organizations that do it through counseling, that do it through work and um, business and things. I think all those avenues will produce fruit. Um, the, the place we were called to start is within the faith community. Well, I love that. I know that one of the things that you do is to um, help provide training for leaders within the faith community, even small groups. Um, tell us a little bit about what you've learned through that journey. What's been effective um, as you've gone in and, and helped people, whether first at the leadership level and then second, just kind of at the grassroots? What have your reflections been? I think the biggest thing that we've learned is relationship is so important. When people have uh, intentional cross-racial relationships, it breaks down so many walls and barriers that existed in the, in the past that uh, it really does a lot of the work of reconciliation and unity in just doing that. Friendships, personal friendships. And we also say we use the term heart level friendships, not people who you just say hi and bye to, but who, who are the people who you're having, um, sitting down having meals with? going on vacation with? Um, who, who do you call when you have a problem? Who's close, close friendships? Those types of things transform people's perception and perspective about race. And they'll overcome a, a lot of the stereotypes that people have and misconceptions that they have about people in different races and ethnicities. So when you have those uh, relationships, that overcomes a lot. And the, the second thing is recognizing that we all start with a different lens in, in life. I had a friend of mine who once said that, you know, he took his daughter to a, a concert and his daughter was like five years old. And when they walked into the concert, they were standing around. And um, 
when they uh, the concert started, he had to pick his daughter up and put her on his shoulders so that he could uh, so that she could see. And he said, at, right at that moment, he said, "I understand that everything we see is from our own personal perspective, and it isn't until we look from somebody else's perspective that we can then understand what they're seeing. When we have those intentional relationships, all of a sudden we can see things from other people's perspectives, and when we have those relationships across uh, races, we understand what uh, an African-American mom may think about when she uh, worries that, you know, there's priest brutality out there. You, you understand what a, an immigrant uh, parent may think about when they are, are worried that because they brought their child over uh, illegally, that all of a sudden they may have to return to a country that they, they never even known. You, you begin to get those perspectives. And once people get those perspectives, they care about things differently, they care about people differently, and then their perspectives around unity change. Wow, I, I could not uh, agree, affirm what you're saying um, is definitely the heart of what we want to accomplish um, is Yes, there are events for people to come, there's ways for people to get educated, but how do we bring people into those relationships that are cross-cultural and begin to build friendships with people that don't look like ourselves? Um, what have you learned maybe from your journey um, you just gave us two great things, um, you know, the perspective and the different lens, as well as the importance of relationships. Um, if, if someone were listening to this and they're like, you know, I want to be a part of the solution. Um, there's not a reconciliation network in my community. What would you say to someone have been maybe some of the things that you would say, here's a good first step for you. Um, here's a way that you can make a difference in the lot in, in your community. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first step uh, I always say, you know, is, is being um, bold and, and, and venturing out to start new relationships, whether it's people, you know, at work or um, in your neighborhood. And that's scary. It's difficult without question. And there are ways to do that well and ways to do that not well. We don't have time to talk to all of them. But but being fearless and making mistakes is, is one thing that they can do. But the second thing is really to to gather more information, mm -hmm. uh, maybe outside of the sphere that you normally get information. Um, look for perspectives that are different than your own. Uh, mm -hmm. I have this concept uh, where I, I tell people to start embracing the and. Uh, and what I mean by embracing the and is embracing the idea that there can be two seemingly different truths that exist at the same time. Meaning um, there, there is a potential for a person to be um, for the Black Lives Matter movement and before the police at the same time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always have to be opposite and oppositional. Um, when we start with an idea of embracing the and, that two, um, two pers seemingly different truths can exist at the same time when we really embrace that we overcome some of the hurdles that keep us separated and when we do that we'll have the ability to take in knowledge or information from a different source and not automatically dismiss that and when we stop dismissing uh, other people's opinions but for a moment just say okay what if their opinion is true mm. as well as my opinion being true how can that be 
And then we have to use our brains. We have to start thinking. And then we think about that and say, oh, okay, maybe I can see this from their perspective. And that, that, that begins to lay a lot of groundwork for unity. Um, we stop dismissing people, stop dismissing ideas, but bring it into our sphere. You know, do the hard work of thinking through how is it possible that these people can be so passionate about some one thing or another and, and see how it, that goes. And often we'll have someone in relationship to bounce those new ideas and new thoughts off of and come to a conclusion that we eventually brings unity and bring, builds reconciliation. Hmm. Brandon, let me ask you to maybe speak to two different audiences here. So, um, to the, to the white person that's listening to this, that maybe has not really been very far along in their journey of understanding the issues of racism and its impact on our culture and our communities, what would you say to, to someone right now as to why, why it's so important for them to care? why it's so important that they need to invest the time everybody's busy why you know why why invest the time oh yeah well the first reason i would say is because we are all hindered by racism and injustice in this country mm -hmm. the country as a whole suffers when a significant group of people uh suffer are held back or inhibited uh there have been studies about the the billions of of gop or of not gop uh, of um GDP, um, economic growth that has been hindered in the United States simply because we've, um, I mean, throughout years of history uh, segmented, whether it's African Americans or Latinos or Native Americans have kept them out of the full socioeconomic system. Um, recognizing that just because, you know, and say African Americans weren't able to get jobs at certain periods of time, they still got jobs. They just got jobs underneath the table and simply didn't pay taxes on those things because people were paying them maybe at a less wage. And same thing happens for immigrants and so forth, which ultimately hurts the country as a whole, as a whole um, because that is not fueling into our bigger system that can help others, you know, they're not paying taxes and so forth. But just ultimately recognizing that it, it hurts the country as a whole whenever racism exists. It, it doesn't advance us intellectually. It doesn't advance us as a society and being uh, compassionate and growing to be the people who we really aspire to be, to really uh, uphold the constitutional uh, ideology that was set before that all men and women are created equal. Mm -hmm. And when we don't do that, we're not the better for it. So I, I, I would say to your white listeners that it's important that you know, we live up to the values that we believe that this country is set on so that the country can become the, the, the place that the founders thought it to be uh, or would have desired it to be in their minds, in their ideology. So uh, I think that's why it, it should be important. I think the things they can do is, is simply, like I said, build relationships and educate themselves about those uh, different um, different people from different cultures that maybe they work with or live in their neighborhoods. Uh, I, would, I would say for minorities on, on the other side of that, and I can speak for, um, I can't speak for African-Americans, but I can definitely speak from the African-American perspective that I, I think that we uh, have to get to a, a place of understanding 
how there can be a large portion of the white population that simply doesn't understand the the day-to-day -day life of, of an African-American person. They don't understand the microaggressions. They don't understand that systemic racism still exists, that there can be a significant portion of people who can legitimately, and even though they're heartfelt and, and understand, can say, well, slavery was over you know over 200 years ago it ended how can that still be an issue today and simply not know and there's i mean literally nothing people can um be faulted about not knowing but once we begin to share and make people aware there are other there are other issues that there are kind of a snowball effect from slavery and from jim crow era segregation that affects uh, african-americans today once people are made aware then then that can help so we have to be a little more understanding and i would say uh, slower to accuse uh, people of, of being racist just because they don't have information. I had another friend of mine who uh, recently who said, you know, if we call out everything as racist, then the real racist, it makes no, uh, has no meaning. Mm -hmm. If everything is racism, then real racism is insignificant. So we have to be careful not to call um, things that's not racist, racist. We just have to reserve that language for the real issues out there, not just because somebody is misinformed or what have you. And, and that allows, I believe that will allow the conversation to happen a little more uh, openly and freely when people feel like, you know, I can have these conversations without being accused of being a racist. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I could talk with you all day. I think, I mean, it's just encouraging. I think what you just said, um, you know, I sometimes feel so bad walking in this space of thinking for a, a minority, you know, how long do we have to keep having these conversations and how long do they have to keep explaining and when will, um, you know, the culture as a whole care enough in the majority culture to become educated. Um, and it, it does, it feels like in some ways, and one of the reasons that we started Race for Reconciliation is we wanted to provide a positive unifying voice, uh, a place of hope that wasn't, didn't feel so um, polarizing and, um, you know, that, that you were, you know, crossing seven lanes of Atlanta traffic trying to have a conversation with someone. Um, and what you just said is, is such a, a grace-filled approach to, to both, um, to, to whites, to minorities, and, and to just say, hey, this really does boil down to um, who we are as human beings that we need to care. Um, since you are specifically in the faith realm, um, I would love to ask you, you know, in, in this whole journey that we're on right now, um, talk to us about the role of the church and the role of the multi-ethnic church. What, what have you seen and what would your, what's your counsel at this point to where we are as, as a faith in this nation as yeah, within the, the church sphere, I feel like, like I said before, the church is, is a, a huge part of the solution. And, and I, I would even dare to say that until the church really figures this out, that we're going to be um, 
part of the problem and not part of the solution. Uh, I, I pastored at a church that was intentionally multi-ethnic and multi-racial in Cincinnati called People's Church uh, for 10 years uh, before we moved to St. Louis to plant People's Church St. Louis. And um, what I experienced uh, there as a, a multi-ethnic church, the church is probably running at between 900,000 people now. When I started, it was probably between 400 and 500 people. But um, with the, our pastor wanting to lead the church to transition from a 98% homogeneous white church to a multi-ethnic church. And the church now is 50% Caucasian, 25% African-American, and 25% international with over 31 countries represented there. And uh, when you worship and experience that type of uh, vibrancy and diversity within the congregation it's outstanding it's really wonderful in the bible there's a pastor a passage of scripture revelation 7 9 where the the apostle john has a vision of what church is like in heaven and he describes it as there's so many different ethnic ethnic groups and so many different languages there uh so many people gathered just worshiping that you you know i couldn't even count how many but he was very specific in saying there were so many different nationalities there worshiping and i feel like that's the vision in heaven and that should be the vision here on earth that when churches congregate together and get together across uh nationalities ethnicities and races that we're really doing what God would call us to do in, in overcoming, um, you know, the barriers that, that separate us, especially by race and ethnicity. And when the, the church has been, throughout history has been a problem. I mean, the, so the, there have been many churches, I mean, the Quakers, we were a big part of the abolition movement and were anti-slavery from the beginning, the Moravians, and we have a great church history that always spoke out against injustice and against racism. But there's a larger part of the church that was more complicit in it. Uh, they just simply said nothing and said, you know, our job is just to preach about Jesus and preach the Bible. And, and they kind of didn't recognize that throughout scripture, overcoming injustice is a huge thing. Not a small thing, not a side plot, but a really big thing. And uh, th that's been a fault of the church. So I feel like as the church presses through our history of saying, you know, we're not going to stand on the sidelines. We're going to be verbal about it. We're going to speak out for biblical justice, according to what the Bible talks about, standing up for the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. And um specifically just using our voice, our platform, and our, our, our really our influence to help overcome this, it, it's going to be an impactful thing. It, it just, it, it's going to be outstanding. I, I feel like it'll be a force that moves society and culture as a whole when, we, when our faith-based communities begin to really grab hold of the unity aspect. Well, I think, you know, you are a great um, example and a great encouragement as we think about um, this is a topic that's not going to be solved overnight. Uh, it is going to be something that takes an investment of all people and that um, whether it be in, in the workplace or whether in the faith sector, whether in government or education, uh, it takes all of us as human beings caring. Uh, and so I, I'm grateful for your work. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. And I know that you and your team are doing a great work in St. Louis. Um, if somebody wants to reach out and get involved, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? 
uh, the best way for them to reach us is at our website. It's www.stlrn.org. You can find a lot of information about our, our services and events that we do right there. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. For anybody else that wants to also just begin this education process that we are talking about, great resources on the St. Louis Reconciliation Network page. There are also great resources at raceforreconciliation.org. And let's be a part, all of us, no matter what community we live in, be a part of the solution. Take care and we'll see you next time.